Good morning and welcome on this uh, Wednesday morning as we continue our daily Bible reading from Exodus and we're in Exodus chapter 27. So just a quick recap, 20, chapter 20 is God sets a covenant with them. That covenant uh, begins with the 10 words. We know them as the 10 commandments. God establishes that covenant, his relationship, our relationship with him, our relationship with, with others. Uh, and then now he's talking about the, the details of that, uh, of how we live that covenant out and how that's, um, uh, how we're reminded of God's presence with us and, and what we're required to do and, and uh, the, who God is and who we are. Um, and and uh, obviously in, mixed in all of that is Genesis chapter 3, what happens because of the fall into sin, this separation between God and us. We talked about that yesterday with all the curtains and the veils and, and things like that to say that, hey, we don't you know just willy-nilly walk up to God. No, there's there has to be a way that's made. We tried that getting to God on our own. Look, remember the, uh, the Tower of Babel, when we tried to build that tower up to God, that wasn't working. Um, it can't work. Um, only God can come down to us, and he does. And so the tower tabernacle, uh, first of all, becomes that, and the Ark of the Covenant becomes that visual to remind us that God truly is with us, and that um, uh, he's going to, uh, uh, he wants to come to us, and, and he wants us to come to him, but he reminds us that there has to be something done about sin. God doesn't just cover his eyes. God said, Adam and Eve, when you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Um, so God can't go back on his word. If God goes back on his word there, then when else is he going to go back on his word? Is he going to go back on his word about loving us or forgiving us or, or all that? We need God to stick to his word. Uh, and thank, thanks be to God, he is. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. And the only way we get truth is if someone keeps their word to us. And God always keeps his word to us. Uh, and we thank him for that. So here's this visual. Now, inside that tabernacle or that temple, this is not a hollow place. This is a place of great activity. Um, there's great activity on God's part in reconciling us to himself. He sends his only son into the world. Um, he has to come here and he has to battle. He has to battle Satan and sin and death for us. And he does. You think of Jesus' earthly ministry, man. He wasn't sitting around. Um, he's constantly going out to people. Well, there's activity. That's uh, that's kind of the activity of the church today. And remember, churches in a building, churches, people, that's our role, our work in the world. Remember, Jesus said, that who's the good and faithful servant? Well, not the guy who's sitting around, the guy or gal who's sitting around, you know, enjoying this wonderful salvation we have in Jesus Christ. No, we're to be active. We're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Um, that's our work. So let's get into some of the details of chapter 27. Now, in, in so inside of that tabernacle, first thing that's mentioned is, and this is powerful, is the altar. And the altar is the place where sacrifices are made to God. The altar is the place where where we come to God and God comes to us at the altar. And, and so it's it's a place where God says, you bring your sacrifices and I'm going to be there to, to bless you. So when you see altar from, from our perspective today, um, I think it's kind of interesting how in, in our churches, altar is front and center and usually there's a cross above it because the ultimate altar is the cross. That's where the sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice for us was made made there at that altar on our behalf. And therefore, um, that altar is a place that brings us peace. At that altar in our worship setting, we offer our prayers up to God, um, realizing that the only way we can do that is to do it in Jesus' name. Uh, Jesus makes it possible for us to have a sitting with God that we can come before God. And that also at that altar, God comes to us. That's where the Lord's Supper is sitting. That's where the body, we receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And we gather around that altar too. Um, and what a 
what a what a great thing there. And so we get the gifts from God um, at that altar because Jesus won them first of all. And of course, the gifts come in that bread and in that wine. Jesus says, my body and my blood, there for you. And there we receive that. But there's another thing too that's kind of interesting about this. And I did some reading on it. Verse 2 says, one of the things on the altar are these horns. Now, when you hear horns, biblically, you always think of power. The horn of God's salvation. God's described as having horns. Um, and, and the visual is good. If you have any, any um, uh, you know, animal background, I know for myself, when my dad got cattle and any of those cattle had horns on them, which my dad always made sure they didn't, you looked at that, that particular animal and said, whoa, not only is this a big animal, he's got horns, he can hurt me. So horns are always a symbol of power. But isn't it interesting, on the altar are these horns. Now, again, in my notes I read, uh, part of that might be, remember, on the altar back then, they were making sacrifices there. So that may have helped to hold the wood in place they would burn those sacrifices and keep that animal on there. But there's other references in the Old Testament where someone would come into the, into the, uh, at the altar and they would grab a hold of those horns and hope that they could find a sitting with God, a place where they could find refuge. So I guess the symbolism of that is that um, we have, because of Jesus Christ, we have the power given to us to come before God Almighty. Um, and God gives us that. He, that. That's a gift from God. We can come to him with confidence, like Jesus says, or, or like Luther says in, in the, um, the introduction of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art, who art in heaven, we come like little children come before their dear fathers, knowing that we're going to have a place there. So, so he gives us the, the, op the opportunity to be able to do that. We can grab upon those, uh, upon those horns. Notice verse 3 says, you know, there are pots for the ashes, so we know there's things that are going to be burned there. There are shovels, there are basins, all this kind of, all these utensils are there, but they're all pointing to one thing. There's a sacrifice that's going to be made there, and that's going to make it possible for us to come before God, and God's going to meet us there. Um, there are poles there, of course, on the altar too, verse 7 says, because again, this is mobile. Um, God goes with us. He's not stuck in one place. Uh, we can't locate him in any place, uh, but he goes with us uh, wherever we are. Kind of interesting in Solomon's prayer later on in recording the scripture, when he dedicates the temple to God, um, he says, now, God, just keep reminding us that there's no way we can possibly contain you in one place because the whole world is your altar. The whole world is yours. Uh, and we need to be reminded of that too. Then you got the court of the tabernacle. Again, a lot of emphasis upon the curtains and the screens to show them, remind them of the fact that there's a separation between us and God. Only God can open up that veil. Only God can open up that curtain. God provided a way for them and that the priests could go behind those with the sacrifice of the people and bring them to God. And Jesus, of course, is that ultimate sacrifice. That's why the curtain gets torn in the temple uh, when he dies upon the cross. And then finally, uh, the emphasis upon the lamp in the last few verses, verse 20, 21, and 22. Notice the people are to bring the oil. That's their offering to be used there. And the priest's job is to keep that lamp going always. That was very, very crucial and important. Maybe you could think of our eternal flame that we got going in the uh, in the sanctuary too. It's kind of a reminder of that too, that God never burns out on us. He never goes out on us. And, and that was a very, very important job for the priests. And remember, the lamp is the sign of the light. He's the light in our darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. Um, he's that perfect light. We may forget some time or the oil may run out um, on our eternal flame. 
Uh, that's only a visual, but God will never do that to us. And then, then three more points too. In those last couple of verses, notice the word testimony in verse 21. So that's the evidence of God's presence with us. And for them, the testimony was the place where you had the Ten Commandments, uh, the rod of Aaron and the manna. So that's evidence of God's goodness and graciousness to us. It's like the cross in front of our church. It's evidence of God's love for us. Then you had the God gives a command in verse 20. Um, and that's an important word too. So command is kind of like what we do as parents. We command our children to do things that are going to be good for them. And we need to hear that and follow that. We as children of God need to do that too. And then the last one is in, in at the end of uh, verse 21, where he talks, so it shall be a statute. So think of memorial, something you can visually see. I think of the memorials in, um, uh, in Washington, D.C. Remind us of our founding fathers and what we were based upon. So we have all three of those just good reminders to us of who God is and who we are in God and uh, that confidence that we can have to come before him. Um, so God bless you as you continue to read today.